Since uh, late January, we've been uh, exploring kingdom living by looking at uh, many of the one another's that you find uh, in the New Testament. We've looked at what it means to love one another, forgive one another, do not speak against one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another, serve one another, and last week, be subject to one another. Kingdom living is very different from living in this world. If we are going to give God the glory through our lives, we want to have our minds renewed by the word of God. For Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as we look at the one another's, By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see him begin to renew our thinking and renew our actions such that we can live much like uh, kingdom living, where we seek to adopt kingdom principles for our lives. Last Sunday, Francis spoke about being subject to one another, and he reminded us that Jesus has all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth rests with Jesus. And whatever authority we have in this earth, it all emanates from Jesus. Whether it's the police, whether it's parents, uh, the government, uh, bosses or managers in the workplace, whatever authority there is that exists on the earth, it all comes from Jesus Christ. Even the authority of the elders uh, in the church, it all comes from him. And so if we are to live in a way that glorifies the Lord here on this earth, we want to submit ourselves to all authorities. For in doing so, we are submitting ourselves to the authority of God. This morning, we want to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, as we explore another one another, teaching and admonishing. Colossians 3, verse 16. 16, Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, Paul is writing to the believers at the church in Colossae. And he starts off by informing all of them that we all have a responsibility to teach and to admonish one another. This is our responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of a teacher who uh, comes to the pulpit on Sunday morning and teaches the church. Uh, It's the responsibility of all of us. And so all of us want to adhere to this responsibility. It was never God's will under the new covenant, that one person be responsible to teach the body of Christ. Where we show up on Sunday morning, hear a word from the teacher, and then we go back home only to come back a week later to receive another teaching from God's word. No, Paul makes it clear here that all of us share in the responsibility and the duty to teach and admonish one another. And Paul says we are to... uh, Allow the words of Christ to dwell in us so that we can teach and admonish one another. The words of Christ are the words that 
uh, we find written in all the epistles. It's the New Testament in essence. Uh, Jesus spoke during his ministry on the earth and then he continued to speak under the inspiration of the Spirit through all of the authors that pen the New Testament. And you and I, we want to live in the New Testament. That's what that word dwell means. We want to live in the New Testament and have the New Testament live in us so that we can teach and admonish one another. And then as he uh, also says in verse 16, we have an obligation not only to teach and admonish others, but to do so with wisdom. We need the wisdom of God if we are to instruct um, God's people as we teach and admonish them. When we think of teaching, we should think of it in terms of encouraging. One of the main purposes of prophesying or preaching is to encourage. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And so we see this demonstrated during the ministry of the Apostle Paul when he traveled on the first missionary journey with uh, Barnabas in Acts chapter 14, it says that Paul and Barnabas strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith. And so in partnership with one another, God gave Paul and Barnabas a ministry of encouraging. Through their preaching, through their teaching, they encouraged the disciples and strengthened their faith as a result. And you and I are called to do the same. And so the first point that we want to look at one of, is this. One of the ways that we can teach others in the body of Christ is by encouraging them. Not everyone can teach the word of God, but we can all encourage one another in the body. God can give you a ministry of encouragement through the appreciation of others. And we see this demonstrated in the writings of the apostles, the epistles. They would often start off their writings with appreciation, even if they had some very difficult things to say to the church. For an example of that, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from the Living Bible. Notice how Paul starts this letter off to the uh, Corinthian believers. From the Living Bible, he says, I can never stop thanking God for all the wonderful gifts he has given you now that you are Christ's. He has enriched your whole life. He has helped you speak out for him and has given you a full understanding of the truth. What I told you Christ could do for you has happened. Now you have every grace and blessing, every spiritual gift and power for doing his will are yours during this time of waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this church had a number of problems that Paul planned to address, but in wisdom, he starts off in this letter by appreciating them, by acknowledging the good things that are happening within the church. Jesus also took time to appreciate those that were among him. In Matthew 8, he praised the centurion for his faith. And in Luke chapter 7, he praised a repentant woman for her demonstration of her love. 
And you and I too can have this ministry of appreciation as we seek to uh, teach others in the body of Christ. In marriage, one of the ways that we can express our love for our spouse is to appreciate them. Husbands, if your wife has done a wonderful job of cooking for you and caring for you over the past, say, 15 or 20 years, and you've never taken time to appreciate her, I would encourage you this afternoon to take a few moments and appreciate your wife for what she's done for you and let it come from a heart of sincerity as you reflect on the blessing that she's been in your life. Wives, if your husband has been a blessing for you, if he's provided for you and he's been a source of stability uh, and security for you, you also want to take a few moments and thank him for uh, the role that God has used him to play uh, in your life. 60 seconds of appreciation can go a long way towards strengthening uh, people's faith. And when we talk about marriage, uh, appreciation can strengthen our marriages, and this is what glorifies God. The second point is this. A few words of appreciation can have a lasting impact for a person's faith. A few words of appreciation can have lasting impact for building a person's faith. It was about three years ago that Pastor Herman Hamilton, the former teaching, teaching pastor here at Abundant Life, took the staff to a church down in Orange County, California, to uh, make us avail, avail ourselves of some leadership training. And uh, we got out of the airport, we got out of the plane, got to the rental car agency, and Pastor Herman asked me to partner up with him. And so we went to the rental car uh, desk, and he filled out the, co the contract, uh, gave the credit card, and then uh, the lady, he asked the question, where can I go to get the rental car? And the lady said, if you go down this corridor, once you get to that wall on the left, I want you to hang a left, go across the street, you'll see the crosswalk, go across the street, veer off to your right, and there's an elevator. Take the elevator down to the next level and go straight ahead and you'll find the rental car place. Now, the whole time, Pastor Herman's head was, he's trying to follow all these details, and she said, Is, do you have it? And before he could respond, I said yes. And I quickly repeated back those uh, instructions to her, and Pastor Herman looked at me, and when I finished, he looked at her and said, thanks, that's why I have him with me. <laughs> and what happened next, I'll never forget. We were walking towards uh, the rental car place. He put his arm around me, and he said, man, you are a godsend. He said, I thank God for you, because you can handle the details where I can't. He said, that's why God gave me Rhonda, my wife, because she can handle the details for me. He said, I so appreciate the fact that God has you here at Abundant Life, and uh, you will be a blessing to me because of the way that you can handle details. Now, when I heard that, I thought for the first time, I see my value in ministry, one of the values that I have in ministry. Now, I've always handled details before in the past but I never saw them or thought of them to be of value in ministry. But when he said that, when he shared just a couple of minutes of appreciation for 
the fact that I can handle the details, I thought, Lord, that's how you shaped me for ministry, to handle the details. And now I embrace opportunities to operate with the details because not everyone in the body of Christ can do that. But it came only through a few words of appreciation. And so appreciation can have a lasting impact on our faith, on building our faith as we receive those words. So in addition to teaching others, we also have the duty of admonishing others. We talked earlier in this series about loving one another. And one of the ways that we can love one another is to admonish them, which means that we are to correct them or uh, to warn them if we see them going astray. But as we do this, we want to do it with the spirit of love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. And so we want to do that as we admonish our fellow believers. We don't want to come to them with uh, harsh words, but we want to come with a gentleness about us and a spirit of love for the other person. And all the while, we want to be examining our own selves, our own attitude. We should never correct someone from a place of pride. We must examine ourselves before we correct others to make sure that we are a humble servant of the Lord. Otherwise, we can come off uh, towards the person that we're seeking to admonish as someone uh, that thinks that we're, that we're uh, better than they are. And our efforts, while good in nature, um, can be received and we can do more harm than good. Now, some people are very reluctant to correct or warn others. This can be outside of their comfort zone and they can feel like it's confrontational um, or could create conflict. But it doesn't have to be confrontational at all if we follow the example of the apostles. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul had a number of great things to say to, to the church as he opened his letter. But then listen to what verse 10 says of 1 Corinthians 1. He says, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. So he appreciates them first, and then he starts to deal with the issues, and he starts to correct the wrongs that exist in the church. Paul uses words of affirmation as anesthetic that allows him to correct uh, the church on a host of very thorny issues. Years ago, I had a root canal, and I was nervous about it because I had heard so many horror stories about a root canal. And I went into the dentist's office and I sat in the chair and right away uh, the lady was very kind to me and, and she said, how was your day? And, and I said, we'll see. <laughs> and she asked me a few other questions about myself all the while she's getting ready to uh, perform this procedure. And as I open my mouth, she starts to prick my gums with this needle. And, uh, and before long, that needle, that uh, Novocaine, numbed the area of my mouth where she was going to perform uh, the root canal. And that's what uh, appreciation is. Appreciation is the anesthetic that we use before we apply the, the, uh, the correction that God has for us. 
This is God's wisdom. This is God's wisdom for us. That we say nice things to people before we admonish them. And you'll be surprised at how well it goes down. At how well they receive it. In the book, One Body in Christ, Brother Zach Poonin writes, We can only correct those with whom we have already established a bond of fellowship. Otherwise, our reproof may be misunderstood and do more harm than good. The fourth point I want to make is we should only correct those with whom we have fellowship with. In addition to saying something positive before we correct others in the Lord, we ought to already have a bond of fellowship with them before we correct them because having this bond of fellowship gives us the platform of trust and love for one another from which we can then admonish them. And if we don't have that fellowship, people can misunderstand our words and take us as someone who's being a busybody and uh, being nosy in their business. Brother Zach goes on to say, we should certainly avoid correcting a person's fault if we have never praised him for his virtues. Our fifth point, we should avoid correcting a person's faults if we have never praised them for their virtues. Revelations 3.19 says, As many as Jesus loves, he admonishes. If we love someone, we will take opportunities to encourage them as well as correct them. Think of appreciation as a whiteboard and correction as the marker. Appreciation for people's virtues serves as the whiteboard on which the marker of correction is applied. Appreciation for people's virtues serve as the whiteboard on which the marker of correction is applied. In other words, if you haven't appreciated them, you can't correct them. You don't have anything to write on. You don't have the whiteboard there. You want appreciation first before you bring correction. And it will go so much better uh, for us and for them because they'll have, again, that mutual relationship of love and respect for each other from which to receive the word of correction. Number six, we should not correct a person if we know that they will reject it. We should not correct a person if we know that they will reject it. If you, uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 and 8 in the Living Bible says, if you rebuke a mocker, you will only get a, small, a smart retort. Yes, he will snarl at you, so don't bother with him. He will only hate you for trying to help him. But a wise man, when rebuked, will love you all the more. So as we seek to admonish other people, we want to assess their spiritual maturity before we do that. If you know going in that that person will reject what you have to say, then don't even waste your time seeking to admonish them. Trust that the Lord um, will um, either speak uh, himself or use others to bring correction um, into that person's life. 
So this is how we should correct others. Um, The next point I want to make speaks to the question, how should we receive correction? A.W. Tozer once said that when we are criticized, the only thing that should concern us is whether the criticism is true or false, not if the person doing the criticizing is a friend or an enemy. Number seven, if we are to receive the blessing of rebuke from others, we must die to self. If we are to receive the blessing of rebuke from others, we must die to ourself. In this principle, we have to die to ourself, which means that we have to set ourselves aside so that we can receive the rebuke that God has for us, which is for our own good, so that we can be built up and made stronger in the faith. And I want to ex- demonstrate this through a couple of examples. The first is the right way to receive rebuke. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, verse 22, It says that Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And so notice that. Notice what is said here, that Peter is taking Jesus aside, first of all, to rebuke him Uh, after Jesus says that on this night, uh, all of you will fall away from me. He's about to be uh, crucified the next day. And, uh, And Peter says, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then listen to what uh, Jesus says to Peter in response. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you, uh, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Now, that's a pretty sharp rebuke when you hear that. And remember, Peter wasn't aware of the fact that Jesus was speaking to the spirit. Peter heard him say these words. And as far as Peter knew, Jesus was calling him Satan. And how many of us know, how many of us as Christians know that if someone were to call us Satan and say that we were a stumbling block, our response would be, oh, it's on. A fight is about to go down in here we would be ready to fight. But not so with, with Peter. There's no uh, record of him being offended by what Jesus had to say to him. Look at another example. In John chapter 6, in John 6, In verse 60, Jesus has given a strong message to his disciples about the need to die to self. And he said, and it says in verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And the result 
verse 66 says that as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So they heard these very strong words from Jesus and many of the disciples left him. And, uh, and Jesus says to the 12 in verse 67, you do not want to go away also, do you? And then listen to what Peter says in verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Again, Peter wasn't offended. He wasn't offended at all. And that's because in these examples, Peter has, uh, in essence, died to himself. Now, you may wonder, well, how can I do that? How can I actually die to myself? And the way that I understood it is through this illustration. Imagine you going to a funeral and there's a casket with a dead body there. What would happen to that person if you walked up to that casket and you said a mean thing to that person? What would happen if you took that gold ring off of that person? What would happen if, God forbid, you decided to slap or spit on the dead person? What would happen? Absolutely nothing. Because that person is dead. That person has died to self. That person doesn't get offended. That person doesn't respond out of anger because they're dead. And when I heard that illustration, it really helped me to understand what it means every single day to die to ourself. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Every single day we have to die to ourselves. So that if people say something bad about us, we don't get bothered by it. If people take things that belong to us, we say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what it means to die to self. And this is what allowed Peter to receive the rebukes, a very strong rebuke from Jesus, his Savior. But this next, this next example is an example of how not to receive correction. In John chapter 12, go there. In John chapter 12, verse uh, 7, Jesus is with his disciples, first of all, and uh, a woman has poured a very expensive perfume uh, on Jesus' feet, and she's used her hair. Um, the opening verses of chapter 12 tells us, uh, to anoint, um, to wipe his feet. And then in verse 7, it says, Therefore Jesus said, uh, Let her alone, so that he may keep it, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, in verse 4 of John chapter 12, we see that it was Judas Iscariot who was offended, not offended, but spoke his disapproval of what um, this woman did. In verse 4, it says, um, Judas Iscariot, um, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, 
Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So Judas was not happy about the fact that this very expensive perfume was used uh, to pour on Jesus' feet. And it was only after that um, question that Jesus says, let her alone. Now, in order for us to see the response uh, of Judas to what Jesus uh, says to him, which is a very mild rebuke in comparison to what Jesus said to Peter, turn with me to the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 26. This is the parallel passage. The same thing is happening, but we find the response of Judas. Matthew 26, verse 14, says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? So notice, right after Jesus responds in those earlier verses, verses 10, 11, 12 and 13, Jesus gives the same mild rebuke uh, to Judas and the disciples. But then it says in verse 14, Judas, after hearing that rebuke, he hasn't died to himself, but instead he was offended. He was bothered by what Jesus said, and he decided to get up and to go and to betray betray Jesus and ultimately went to hell for that uh, action that he took. We want to be brothers and sisters who die to ourself so that we can receive the correction that God uh, has for us. Uh, Judas was offended. It was because he was centered in himself. And when Jesus had uh, a response that he didn't like, he acted on that. And he went out and betrayed the Son of God. So we are called every day to die to self. And when we do this, so many wonderful things can happen, including our ability to receive um, admonishment from our brothers and sisters. The Lord is building a body here at ALCF where every member has a part to play. The days of one primary teacher are gone. God's word is going forth through a number of individuals in the pulpit on Sunday morning, but the teaching doesn't stop there. God is telling the church today that teaching and admonishing is a sacred responsibility that all of us share in. And when we do our part by the power of the Holy Spirit, with love in our hearts for one another, the result is that all of us are built up, we're strengthened, uh, we're encouraged Uh, in our faith, and all of this happens for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you, Father, that it's your will that we teach and admonish others. And Lord, we pray that as we seek to follow your will according to this word, that you will give us wisdom, Lord, in doing this, that you will give us the courage to correct those when they're wrong or to encourage people 
when we see things that uh, are positives in their lives. And so thank you, Lord. Help us to meditate on what you've said to each of us uh, individually. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.